Welcome to the Start Up to Something podcast. I'm Mark. And I'm Matt. This is our weekly update where we share the ups and downs of building and growing our bootstrapped online businesses. And sometimes we ramble on about tech. Hey, Matt. Hey, Mark. What's up, man? Not much. Not much. How was your vacation? (laughs) Yeah, about that. Um, vacation. So yeah, last week, so I meant to kick the vacation off last week, but it really just kind of turned into a, well, I'm in a holding pattern with one of my clients and I can't really disappear because I need to answer them if they show up. So I found things to do, <laughs> which is, which doesn't really make for a great vacation, but it was a very light week, at least to start. Uh, so well, I mean, that was your part of your plan anyways, was to, yeah. to code and to... Yeah. So, and code I did. I played around with a bunch of different things. Perfect. But yeah, so really, I spent the week doing a bunch of like pre-tax things. I need to do taxes for the company, and that's my end of year is May 1st. So just going through and collecting all my documents, making sure my books are in order. Uh, I do candidate screening for a recruiting company in town. So I had a few sessions with some candidates for them. Uh, just a lot of small things kind of piling up. Um, but it was nice. I got to end my day at like four, four thirty every day, and I just played Stellaris and cooked and stuff. So <laughs> I had a had a good time. Okay. Um, but yeah, I did a bunch of coding, which was really fun. Um, I'm really into personal finance. I'm uh, well, really into. I my, I my one of my hobbies is meticulously maintaining my <laughs> my budget, and I have this personal irritation with. I, I have a Capital One credit card through Costco, and the. St- Oh my god, the UI for Capital One transactions is horrible. It's absolutely brutal because they order things based on when transactions clear, not when they post. And depending on the vendor or however Capital One decides to do it, the date at which they clear could be completely different from the day that they post. So the order you see transactions in are totally crazy and stupid and doesn't don't make any sense. Okay. Um, so it makes tracking things really hard. Like, oh, I put this transaction into YNAB or I did not. Um, because I divide things in half anyway, it's whatever. But the whole idea was, I was like, oh, I'm going to write a little Chrome plugin. I want to write a little Chrome plugin, and all it does is just have a little checkbox there that I can click to say, you've already touched this transaction. And so this was my first time uh, writing a Chrome plugin. And I was chatting with a friend about it, and I was like, yeah, it's kind of like, he was like, you know, it's a little bit like you're playing in somebody else's backyard. So it's kind of difficult to make these things happen. And it's more like it's more like you walked into somebody's home and you said, I don't like how this light switch is wired. So you punch a hole in the wall and you attempt to rewire it yourself <laughs> only to break everything and set a fire. So it, it was it's it, it's really tricky because you have to like, I mean, I'm not a front end developer. So even knowing, oh, the page re-rendered or the page loaded and then it made an Ajax call to get data and then load the page. I need to have a mutation observer that can tell, okay, this is finished loading so that you can alter the DOM in this way. Anyway, I, I haven't finished it yet. I've been playing around with it. I've learned a lot, but oh my God, it was both frustrating and fun. So yeah, yeah. I mean, the hardest part I find is that everything is asynchronous. Yes. And, and you have these two like sandboxes right you have scripts that can run in the page Mm -hmm. and then you have what they call the background like frame where you have a whole different api Mm -hmm. and passing stuff from one to the other asynchronously Mm -hmm. it's like (laughs) it's a pain in the ass yeah i was playing around with it a little bit because the i found the documentation really difficult to just 
yeah. parse. It's very, yeah, it's it's not readable. Like it, it's it's extremely technical, and I really could have used like a much simpler intro to it. Um, but I noticed, like, oh yeah, I was trying to do things like, oh, I can see that this Ajax call is made, so I'll create a web request handle or listener or whatever and i'll look i'll listen for just this but because everything is asynchronous just because that request completes doesn't mean that the page is done re-rendering and like yeah it's a whole yeah yeah it's it's fun and annoying but yeah so that was really fun i got to play around a little bit with that and then yeah i played around with you know just a couple of random little side projects when i felt like it just writing a little bit of code here and there um yeah, other than that, like, I just kind of had as much fun as I could. I was doing a bunch of reading. Um, uh, uh, so a company here in Montreal that a bunch of my friends work at, Sonder, um, is going public via a SPAC. Oh. And, uh, I know what I know about SPACs. Well, I know about them. I know what they are, and I know what they do. But I was having a conversation with some friends of mine who were in finance and mentioning, oh, you know, this is the company, and they're going public via SPAC. And... They were asking, oh, you know, does the company remain private, but this is the public arm of it? And, like, what's the relationship look like? So I've been doing some reading, um, just digging into some of the topics around, like, because, I mean, it's a liquidity event. They're raising a bunch of capital by by going public this way. So it's pretty interesting to think, like, oh, I wonder wonder what that's going to look like for my friends that work there that have equity. So can you do SPACs in Canada or they're, they're doing one in the U.S.? That's a good question. Uh, I, th- I thought it was just an American thing. That's a very good question, actually. I know they, they published a... Let me check. So they're going public on the NASDAQ. I don't see okay. anything here about the TSX. No, exactly. That's so it. The, must yeah, just be the, American. I think it is. <laughs> yeah, because I think the big thing is that... Well, I guess it's not really related. But in the US, they don't they don't seem to have any small venture... Uh, mm-hmm. stock markets like yeah. we like we have here yeah so here you you know you can have a very a very small ipo on the venture index yeah but in the us yeah, i don't know maybe there's pink sheets maybe you can do a small raise there but mm. I, I don't i'm not sure how that works yeah so i was going to do a, a dig into it of because i know what it's like to it, it's really interesting to hear people the way companies are going public these days like a direct listing versus a traditional IPO versus a SPAC. And I wanted to dig in a little bit more into SPACs and direct listings just to understand it. So I was thinking about getting my feet wet, just kind of like writing up, you know, what are they and how are they different? And then understanding like, what does the what does the public entity look like as a result right. of uh, specifically from a SPAC? Because um, I thought it was just a set of mergers, but I, re- but I only realized that when, what happens when you merge a private with a public company? What I'm not sure what ends up what the result is. So yeah, it's, I was just very interested in it since uh, I've been uh, I've been watching my friends have been at Sonder for a couple of years now and their business is really interesting. So I'll be interested to see what happens. Cool. Yeah. Did you also see what Gumroad did? They raised a, they like crowdfund, or crowdfunded, I guess. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. Like there's new rules in the U.S. where you can raise up to $5 million in crowdfunding. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, they, so it's I, sort of, I think it's direct, it's like a direct raise, mm-hmm. raising directly from, from like unaccredited investors, mm-hmm. so con- consumers. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, there was... I remember reading a bunch of... Or, well, hearing a lot about it. Um, I know on My First Million, uh, Sam talked about... Because I, I think he did something similar for The Hustle. He, he did direct... Um, he raised directly or some kind of thing like that, maybe through AngelList. I don't know, but he ra- he he raised from a bunch of his customers, basically, or okay. people who knew him. Um, and he was saying like they weren't going to make any money really on the deal because the acquisition itself wasn't huge. It was the earnouts that were um, that were going to result them in the most of the wealth that he was go- creating for himself. Um, and he he actually said if he could go back, he wouldn't do it again. Right. Um, but yeah, it was really interesting because I heard a bunch of like. Or on Twitter, like Nathan Barry piped up and was like, actually, this is not good. Or I don't know. You might want to be careful for these reasons. So, I mean, it's hard to like throw names out, but it seemed kind of contentious, at least from where I was standing. Yeah. I mean, all of it is because the regulations are, are too restrictive for like yeah. for like ordinary people like you and I to invest our money. Yeah. Like they make it so that, no, no, we can only invest our money in like these these 5,000 businesses. That's it. <laughs> That's all. You, you're not allowed to invest in anything else. Only the big boys can do that. Yeah. So, that's, you know, the rich get richer. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's been really interesting. Like, I, I own equity in um, in a bunch of my previous employers. And, you know, they're, pub- they're private companies. I, I can't sell the stock. But there's a bunch of these secondary markets that are showing up that contact you or you list your equity with them. And private investors will approach those platforms and say, I would like to buy a bunch of equity in Mark Co. in Power Importer. And I'm holding all this Power Importer stock that I can't sell. So they create liquidity. But um, your positions have to be pretty large in order for it to be worth it. Because there's a bunch of legal documents. There's a bunch of things that you have to do. Um, So, yeah, the acquisition price needs to be very good. Uh, in order for it to be worth it for this platform. So yeah, the other really interesting thing that happened this week was um, I saw an awesome tweet storm uh, from this guy. Uh, it it kind of went viral. Um, this guy uh, Chris Hurd. Um, it looks like he's he's co- he co-founded a company that helps companies manage the hardware, supplies, all of the physical things that remote workers need. Um, it helps to distribute, manage all of that stuff, all of those supplies. So you're a remote worker, you need a laptop, maybe you get a stipend for, or maybe you get monitors, you get a bunch of things. Um, this one, this company will, maybe they'll act as a broker. They'll certainly act as an inventory tracker, um, but maybe they'll help you buy and or lease all of this equipment, that kind of thing. But he had this awesome tweet storm about, um, he said, you know, I've, uh, I've spoken to 1,500 plus people in the last year and a half last six months rather um to about what it's like working remotely and he just kind of came up with a big list of changes that he sees coming in the next couple of years talking a lot more about rural living asynchronous work um one of my favorites was the hobby renaissance <laughs> uh which is so interesting like and then at the so I, he has this awesome so why story. what's that why why is there going to be a hobby renaissance? Because his idea is that um, I, I think his his thesis, he doesn't go deeply into it, but I think that his thesis is that by working remotely, we have less commute. And with less commute or with no commute, now we have all this time back that we never had before. And we're going to have to find something to do with that time. And it's like, oh, well, if I don't have to commute an hour and a half every day, maybe I want to start painting 
Maybe I want to start playing sports. Maybe I want to go to the gym. Maybe I want to learn slacklining. I don't know. I don't know. Do, do you believe that? So this is something that I've been talking a lot with uh, a few friends about. So I, so my friends that work in finance, <laughs> they're based in Toronto. And uh, one of them is an economist. So he's really good at thinking about problems in terms of incentives. And one of the things we've been talking about is, you know, how do you feel about remote work? And for them, they're like, I love it. We, you know, we want to own property. It's really difficult to do that affordably in Toronto. But if we move outside the city, things become more affordable, but then you have to battle against a commute. So now all of a sudden it becomes, okay, well, how much do I need to be at the office and that sort of thing? And what am I trading for it in terms of a commute? So I love these conversations because all of a sudden now it's like the things are on the table that never were before. And at least for me, like, you know, a commute, no commute just means I work more and harder. <laughs> I just work for those times that it, that, right. like, and that's just my personality. But I know. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I agree that everyone has more time now. Mm-hmm. Like, and, it, and for some people, it's not insignificant, right? Yeah. It might be like 10 hours a week extra. Or, mm-hmm. But uh, I think a lot of people say they don't have hobbies because they don't have time. Yeah. But it's not just time, right? It's exactly. also like motivation, energy. Totally. Like just because you have 10 extra hours in a week, <laughs> you still have the same obstacles of like, actually doing it which is scary right like here i'm gonna try something new i might fail at it Mm -hmm. yeah i'm not so sure about not so sure about this hobby renaissance well one of the things that um one of his earlier points and this i definitely agree with if you have more people all right so it, it kind of an interesting thought experiment is right now let's say you're commuting an hour a day say to make the math easier uh, and let's say that you do two days at the office instead of five, uh, you know, in the new world. So you were commuting, say, two hours a day times five is 10. So you're commuting 10 hours a week. Um, but now you if you if you don't change your living situation, you're only commuting four hours a day. So that with that remaining six, the math is now on the table of, well, maybe I should just commute two hours a day instead of one. I'll double my commute or I'm okay with doubling my commute um, and it allows me to live way further away and own the house that I want with a backyard and get access to these things, better schools, um, things that you wouldn't normally get because the commute was too much. But now you're like, well, I mean, it's the same time. It doesn't really matter whether I do it on a bus over two days or on foot over five days. And when you think about it like that, it's like, oh, that's actually really interesting because that unlocks the idea of like rural living. Um, or really just like a change in scenery. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, maybe I want to grow a vegetable garden. Or maybe it's easier to do things like, oh, I'm going to put more energy into maintaining my property because I can. Right. No, no, that totally makes sense. Or or think of people that, you know, live in the city because that's where they work, Mm -hmm. but then they want to buy a cottage to like, so they have a place to escape to on weekends. Mm. It's like now, well, why don't you just live in the, (laughs) at the cottage year round? Yeah. And sell your city place, right? Yeah. Yeah, to- that totally makes sense. Mm. So yeah, like it's very it's very interesting to start thinking about this because I'm really uh these are the kind of conversations I want to start having with people more. Um, right. Cuz another actually another thing came out. I don't know if it came out today or maybe a few days ago, but Statistics Canada released a 
report of a um, of a survey that they did about people wanting to go back to work. Um, labor force survey and supplement preference of new teleworkers for telework once the COVID-19 pandemic is over. And it talks about like just kind of looking at the results. Um, there's if, if there's one thing we can take away from the results of this survey, it's that people want to telework. Like there is a desire for some people to go back to the office at least a little bit, but people are very interested in continuing to work from home, which is a pretty clear shift in the remote work direction. So yeah, it's like, it's really interesting to start thinking about, oh, I wonder how this is going to change the world or or like, what will the long-term effects of this be? Because like the thing that I have to keep reminding myself whenever I see surveys like this or any kind of statistics is COVID is not remote work. We're trapped in our homes right now, (laughs) which is very different from electing to live at, to work at home and have a recreation and things like that, that you wouldn't, that, that you could lean on. Like that was my life at my previous employer when I was working part-time. That was exactly what I did. I had clubs and I was running a meetup and I was going to the gym. I had all these like fun activities and then COVID happened and it was like, okay, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> so it's interesting to think about the frame of mind of like, do I want to continue to do this? I don't know. It's, it, I, I feel like you have to look at, you have to always have to look at the results of these sur- surveys through that lens. Right. But the other big one is, what about all this commercial real estate downtown? Mm. Like these these towers of like office space. Mm-hmm. What if what what do we do with this <laughs> with this space? <laughs> it's such a good question. I I've been browsing Hacker News uh, at the beginning of each month for who's hiring, and it's very interesting to see the number of companies that still are fully on site. So I mean, I assume there will always be some kind of demand, but. Better get a lot cheaper because <laughs> demand is right. the coffee machine's got to be even better. <laughs> but no, it's a great question. It's a great question. And how will that change? Because I mean, the the more empty your downtown core becomes, the more that like the the second order the the second order impacts of that are like, well, how does that change transport investment? Does that mean more bus stops? At least now it means a lot less Starbucks. <laughs> when I go right. around the old port, they're closing. They, there's no more. They're they're just all gone, which makes sense. But it's interesting to see how a change in commercial habits just changes everything. Like, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like I remember when I, <clears throat> I haven't caught up, I haven't checked up with this, but they were going to build a Hyperloop. Or do you remember when they were doing the Hyperloop con- uh like nominations to figure out where to build a hyperloop hyperloop between and i think it was ottawa and Mont- ottawa and montreal or toronto ottawa montreal something like that was we were in like the top okay. 3 i think for hyperloop um i don't remember that i don't know i don't know what happened with the project but uh it's pretty interesting to sit down and think what are the what are the ramifications of this? What's that going to do to housing prices in one city versus the other? Is it just going to be like an equilibrium? Will you have daily commuters via Hyperloop? If you lived in Toronto, that would probably be a very good deal if the Hyperloop dropped you off downtown or yeah. you know, something like that. So yeah, I, I just these they're so interesting. Like when these big economic changes happen, it's like, yeah, what's going to happen? What's going to happen to me? <laughs> what's going to happen to the city I live in? <laughs> I mean, like it's one thing to even think about extending the subway one more stop. Just like, what will that do to the housing prices? Yeah. It's, yeah. So, yeah, it, it was really cool to, so I gave that guy a follow, Chris Heard. Very interesting stuff. As long as he keeps tweeting this stuff, I'll be, 
I'm sure there's a lot to hear. <laughs> but yeah, it's it, when I come back from vacation, my I I want to just start meeting with more developers, talking to people, and understanding how they're dealing with the remote work thing. Because like, yeah, there's definitely there's so much interesting stuff here. Yeah, I'd be very curious how much of it's going to stick. It's isn't it interesting? Like, there's a friend of mine who I went to university with who went on to start a bunch of businesses and has done exceptionally well. Um, he actually has a very pessimistic outlook on it. And if just like, he's like, his, the tweet I have in mind is, he said something to the effect of, I can't wait for when we start to see the medium posts of why we brought everyone back to the office. <laughs> it's just, yeah, like, exactly. Yeah, it's very true. I imagine we'll be seeing a lot of that. But even if you start to think about it, at least looking at that stat scan survey, already the incentive is clear that there are all these there are all these revealed preferences how do you provide the incentive in order to recruit those people who want that lifestyle um which makes which kind of gives you space for like an aspirational kind of thing of like you want a company that celebrates culture or is very flexible they, they want to give off the vibe that they're very flexible it's very interesting yeah that's the that's the part that i don't i'm pessimistic about Mm. Or, or I don't believe. Mm. I'm skeptical. Yeah, because yeah. I think, like right now, it's it's an easy decision. Like, either <laughs> either you're an essential service and everyone can work f- at the office, mm. or you're not and everyone's working from home. Yeah. Right. I mean, everyone has at least in the past year adapted to having everyone work from home at one point, mm-hmm. but it was against their will. Like, uh, like I know the the oh. previous place I worked at. There is no way in hell they were ever going to let people work from home. Interesting. Like they had such a mindset. That, no, no, no. If you're not sitting at your desk, you're not working. Okay. So, but they were forced. Like their arm was twisted. They had to do it. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't be surprised though. When <laughs> Once this is all over, they're going to call the troops back in. <laughs> like, yeah. Nope, everyone back. And there's not going to be this half like, oh, yeah, you can work from home uh, mm. so many days a week if you want. Uh, and and even if they did, it's completely different than everyone being forced to work from home. Because mm. cause now if you're, if you're choosing to stay home, but all your coworkers are at work, mm-hmm. like it changes the dynamic. Oh, absolutely. Like, yeah. Like, you're, are you going to be passed on a promotion because... You weren't at the lunch on Friday, and mm-hmm. you didn't get to talk with this VP. Or mm-hmm. yeah, I mean that's something that uh, like at the last few places I've worked, we were, I was working at satellite offices. They were all based in San Francisco, and even if you think about flow of information, like the flow of information at HQ is real. Being connected to yeah. that fire hose is really nice. Um, it informs design choices you make. It informs everything. And absolutely connecting with executives or high-level people, navigating a political landscape, that all really helps. Right. I, think- I mean, I can, I can remember a bunch of examples where something was agreed upon in a meeting. Yeah. And then you start working on it. And then like a few hours later, your boss comes in. Oh, it's a change of plans. We're going to do this instead. Mm-hmm. And why? Because you ran into someone in the hallway and they talked about it and they changed their mind. Yep. Yeah. These, this is a, I think this is one of those things that we don't talk enough about because this is a very real aspect to the way that business gets done. Yeah. Decisions get made in the elevator. Like, I, man, like I feel like the ultimate, have you ever heard of the game Kingdom Hearts? No. It's a, it's a PlayStation game or it was, I guess it's published by Sony, but the legend behind it is that 
um, a director from Disney and a director for Sony got into they got like stuck in an elevator together or they took an elevator ride and by the end of the elevator ride they had a game that blended Disney characters with play with like PlayStation characters from from each franchise and you think like what the hell <laughs> like right. Mickey and Goofy are like a part of your team and you're fighting like Cloud <laughs> from Final Fantasy like it's crazy but like these mashups happen because people ride the elevator together right it's quite the parable so yeah i it's i think uh i heard ben ornstein say something interesting i think it was on the indie hackers podcast that he that came out recently but he said something like you know tuple is making a bet that next year there will be more remote developers than there were this year and i think that's a very that's a very astute observation or but just like a very clear way of stating the fact that like even if there are companies that decide to go full back into the office, there will be a remnant of companies that have some sort of a remote working policy, and that will be beneficial for some people. And people will leverage it. Maybe I shouldn't yeah. say beneficial, but... You know, it's, it's, a sound, it's a sound bet to make, yeah. for sure. So yeah, I think it'll be really interesting to see how it impacts... Like, I mean, I'm, I'm basically only connected to tech. I don't know how anybody else <laughs> how any, else anybody works unless it affects me directly. Right. Um, I still see people at the grocery store. I still see people at the drugstore, so those haven't yeah. gone fully remote yet. No, and of course I'm I'm very biased. I mean, I I chose to be an indie hacker ten years ago, right? And I'm I was very content to be working on my own at home. A few times I, I went to a co-working space to like change of scenery, um, but uh, I didn't love it more than <laughs> I didn't. You know, I was. It only lasted a few months. When we moved neighborhoods, there was no longer access to a co-working space. So I, I went back to working from home and I was fine. Like I, I, I didn't really miss the the opportunity, the serendipity of being interrupted by a stranger. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was, like, it was kind of weird. Like we're all in this co-working space, but we're not actually talking to one another or we're not part of a team. Mm-hmm. And that's fine because I don't really want you to come and chit chat with me. I'm here to work. Yeah, <laughs> you know, so it's it's kind of weird. It's not for me. So yeah, so I'm a little biased. I I definitely think you know I I I love a future where we're all working remote, mm. um, and asynchronously, which is you know a big difference than just working remote. Agreed. That we're working asynchronously also. Everyone has a lot more agency of when they work, how they work. And, and then you have community elsewhere, like either like co-working, uh, co-living spaces or, uh, or like, you know, what I used to, used to have martial arts as a community. Yep. yep. Oh, I totally agree. I mean, that, God, that would be so lovely. And it, I think there's a lot of room there for, yeah, just like you say, finding community. I think creating community as well. Like that was something that started to bloom with the indie hackers Montreal meetup. Like, I feel like I was really starting to, like, I'm so, I feel so lucky that I was able to connect with you and right. Pietro and Hans. And yeah, like, it, these guys are all awesome. And it's, I've gotten to meet and forge real relationships with people. And now I'm thinking, like, in this world that you're talking about, I mean, that sort of org, like, event organizer, somebody who's trying to figure out what the best way to appeal to everyone is and get them out so that once they do finish work, they have a place they can go or something that they can go do if they so choose. I think that's awesome. God, as soon as COVID is over, I'm <laughs> in-person events. That's that's all. Yeah, that's the only seriously. thing I'm going to do. Yeah. 
No, yeah, I miss I miss indie indie Montreal. Yeah, and the dojo. Yeah, oh my god, <laughs> I miss the dojo so I just, much. Oh, I just want to throw weight around, man. I miss <laughs> it so much. So yeah, that was really it for my week. It, it was kind of fun to to talk a little bit more about remote work and kind of think about, especially seeing this thread. It really made me think. It's giving me some fodder for what I want to start tackling and talking to people about. I think one of the big things that I'd really like to do, I don't have much of a megaphone on the internet, but one of the big things, especially from the StatScan survey, is it really just kind of gives you general preferences. It's like, you know, it's it's broken down between gender, but um, it, and then your preference to return to work. But I'm really interested in what drives that, those answers. So I'd love to actually come up with my own survey of that goes a little bit deeper of like, what drives it? Is it commute? Is it is it productivity? Do you have kids at home? How old are your kids? Like, really, right. what, what's driving the decision there? Um, and only for developers, too, right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because these other surveys are, like, for the general population. Exactly. Yeah. So just really getting a few things and narrowing down people's preferences, I think, is something I'm really – I'd love to explore that a little bit more. Um, so yeah, I think that'd be a really fun project to start. I, I, I guess the, the problem there, it's all, it's all about distribution. Like I, it's cool to like build a survey, but it'd be really great if, if I could get people to take it. Yeah. I mean, for that kind of thing, you, you can usually borrow someone else's audience. Like, mm. You know, you don't have to have your own audience. Mm-hmm. It's the kind of thing that people will share. Mm. Yeah. I think that would be a fun project. I think I'm going to uh, spend some cycles and think about how to do something like that. Yeah, if I can borrow somebody's audience, that'd be amazing. Yeah. So that's pretty much my week. Oh, except, uh, I don't know if you heard the news, but they're opening up uh, general population vaccines in Quebec. Yep. I I already booked my appointment this morning. Sick. Yeah, I can... It opens for me uh, in a week, and then I'll be able to get get an appointment. Do you have a date? Yeah, it's like in... Uh, three weeks, I think. Okay. Yeah, it's in three weeks. Okay. If they don't run out. <laughs> as long as I get mine. I was just curious. Like, I went and looked at the the UK stats and the US stats. Mm-hmm. To, like, compare how many vaccines per 100 uh, people. Mm-hmm. And yeah, the UK and and the US are at 72%. Wow. Like, vaccinated. Okay. And we're at like 36. We're like half. Yeah. Yeah. So slow here. Yeah. Yeah. It, one really nice thing about, so, well, I mean, I would rather be ahead than behind, but the nice thing about having countries that are, that are ahead is we can learn about how, what does the vaccination rate need to be? Or like what percentage does it need to be where we really start to see a fall off? of cases um like the herd immunity effectively yeah um but the, i think i think they have a good understanding of that like, i thought like, the variants really threw a wrench into uh into our understanding of where herd immunity needed to be yeah it's possible but either way like <laughs> your point well is well taken where i would rather way rather be in the lead yeah i'd much rather be at 72 percent than 36 yeah. percent yeah yeah. So, what about you? How was your week? It was okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had some. It was a pretty busy week with support. Like mm-hmm. Lots of new customers or users. Um, so, like just helping them out, setting up their first workflow. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I 
made some progress with this collaboration that I want to do oh. on a side project. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so it looks like it's going to happen. Oh, yeah. I have someone like we were trying to think of like how to whether would I pay him directly to for his work or do does he do his work for free and then we do a profit share right. of a revenue share of whatever referral traffic to Power Importer. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so we decided to go with a, a revenue share. Okay. So then I I looked at Rewardful, mm -hmm. which is a third party service that will like take care of your whole affiliate program for you. Mm -hmm. and it looks it looked very promising. Mm -hmm. So that, but then when I signed up, I saw that it was it was it, it's very flexible, but they still require you to like they still they take care of all the tracking of the traffic to affiliates. Okay. And then they pay out the affiliate payments, which is great. Mm -hmm. But um I wanted to do this partnership differently. Like I still want to have an affiliate program for for you know just a, a generic affiliate program where people send traffic to me. Yeah. And if that traffic converts into a paying customer, they get a revenue share. Mm -hmm. But with this collaborator, I want something different. And I can't seem to find a way for the two to coexist. Mm -hmm. Like there's no there's gonna be no I can't use get rewardful for what I want to do with him. Okay. And there's no way for me to tell Rewardful to ignore the people that he <laughs> refers. Oh. You know? So, yeah. So, it's like, it's really unfortunate. Like, I was really, I was open to paying the membership fees for Rewardful and I was all on board. But but then, it, when you run into these obstacles, like, it's like, either you really simplify the problem so that you fit their mold. Mm. Like okay, fine, I'll I'll do it their way, and that's it. But even then, it wasn't it wasn't good enough. Mm. So now I I think I'm just gonna end up coding it myself. Ah, damn. Yeah, which is which is fine for this collaboration because it's it's very straightforward. I know exactly how I want to compensate him. Mm -hmm. It's gonna be more of a challenge though when I do eventually offer an affiliate program for for just sending traffic my way. Right. Um. Have you thought about sending a message to the people who run Rewardful and like? Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I I chatted with them. Okay, through the through the live chat, mm -hmm. um, and yeah, in the end, like uh, it wasn't possible to do what I want to do. They, okay. they talked to their dev team, and their dev team sent me an email. Okay, gave me a few alternatives mm. like of how to do it, but it, uh, none of them none of them fit the bill. Okay. Yeah, and I spent a lot of time to doing the math, like how much can I give for a revenue share? Mm. Like, like not so much for this collaboration. That's that's really straightforward. Yeah, because because he has to do a lot of work up front. Mm -hmm. um, like I'm giving him like a, a generous affiliate program, mm -hmm. just for him. But for people who are just gonna send traffic my way, right? That they're just gonna add a link to their website. Mm -hmm. Like there's really no upfront cost for them, so like I'm I'm not willing to give as much. <laughs> so like I'm even thinking of maybe capping that one. Right. I'm trying to figure out how to ask about how you weigh these numbers without you getting too specific. <laughs> like yeah, what when you are deciding how much to reward, like what factors into that? We can edit this out if that. No, no. It's, I mean it's okay. I, 
so yeah, of course I'm, I made a big spreadsheet because I'm a numbers guy. Oh, yeah, that's exactly, yeah, the, the first thing I'm thinking. <laughs> yeah. So I started off with just like, I went to a comparable, uh, a comparable, comparable solution that has an affiliate program. Okay. So like Integromat is like an alternative to people using Power Importer for the same job. Mm-hmm. And they have an affiliate program where they pay 50% for the first month. And then, then it goes down to 20%. For up to two years. Okay. So, like, if I punch in that number in a spreadsheet, like, it's basically like saying there's a cap to how much, how much they will pay. Mm-hmm. Except for Integromat, they have different plans, so you, so you don't know what that cap's going to be, right? Because someone could sign up to a hundred dollar a month plan, or they could oh. sign up for, for a nine dollar a month plan. Mm-hmm. Fair enough. So, so in my case, I only have one plan. But a customer can have multiple instances of that plan because mm-hmm. it's one plan per Webflow site. Mm-hmm. And that and that's really where it gets really complicated. It's like... But uh, yes, yeah, so I'm playing around with the numbers. Like what scares me is, is yeah, you, you say, I'll give you whatever, 30%. Uh, but then like that and if, you know, if, if someone signs up and they have like lots of workflows that they create... And they're on. They're a customer for like five years. Like that is a huge percentage to give. Yeah. <laughs> like you know, we're talking about like thousands of dollars. Like it's like that's that's expensive. Like mm-hmm. because my alternatives are you know pay for 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 advertisement myself. Mm-hmm. You know, like a sponsor a newsletter or do some AdWord or yeah YouTube ads or whatever. Like. So, you know, you got to find a balance between the two. Like, if I know how much a customer is going to cost me with YouTube ads, then I don't really want to spend more than that on affiliate payments. Yeah. God, this is such a difficult question to answer. Yeah. it's There's so many unknowns, too. Yeah. Like you just don't know. I still don't know really what the lifetime value of each customer is. Yeah. Because... I've only been collecting payments for, what, six months? Because when I approach this problem, you know, taking a step back from it, I'm thinking, what is the value of an affiliate? And it's like, if your affiliate is bringing in, if they're accessing a set of potential customers that you either you either can't access or you don't know about, and they expedite that, then it, it becomes a question of, would I have eventually found those people anyway? Right, because you're because I think your your baseline of comparing an affiliate to a a YouTube ad, for example, is a, I think that's a fair comparison. Um, because if they're just going to run, <laughs> because I mean, technically, what? Because I think I read about this in the MicroConf Slack. There was a there was somebody who had an affiliate program, and they just went out and ran Google ads, and <laughs> oh, that's what it was. Yeah, I don't. So I don't. So say it was Power Importer. Um, if you Google Power Importer, of course the first result is Power Importer. But right. these affiliates were running ads against Power Importer. So the ad <laughs> became the first one. So and if they and if so if a person clicks on it and 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 refers, then you're arbitraging. Uh right. the, the, the the affiliates are arbitraging Google <laughs> Google ads uh, against uh, against your no, affiliate. Exactly. And that's the thing you yeah, want to prevent. That's crazy, yeah. yeah. And actually, I did see, I did see Integromat add that clause to their, like they have a, they they host all their their affiliate 
the affiliate agreement they host it on their help pages okay so you can see the revisions ah. <laughs> so i watched the difference between the last revision and that's what they added to it funny that you could not you cannot bid on the same keywords as them right interesting yeah no but it's true you're making a good point that there's also a question of reach mm. like if someone gets a far greater reach than even I would be able to reach with targeted ads, then that's worth that's worth more. Right? Because each channel has its price of cost per customer. Yeah. Like what's gonna cost me to get a customer from that channel. Mm. But some people are just not in those channels. Mm -hmm. But I would want the cost to be comparable in the same range. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's there's too many unknowns. So I think like in the end it's like just copy an affiliate program yeah totally totally <laughs> that's pretty much what i'm going to be doing yeah. i just looked at the math and okay this is this is how much the maximum payout per customer will be about this much so yeah i'm willing to pay that much yeah. that's it yeah and, and the nice thing is it's a very simple test you can run and if people are interested in it then they'll then they'll do it and if they're not then they won't and right. that's interesting data regardless of how you look at it yeah so and then because i can't use rewardful i'm I'm going to do, you know, do things that don't scale. I'll just do a query once a month yeah. of uh, who was if, who was referred by whom and just send them a PayPal payment. Right. So when it comes to referrals, how do you track a referral? Is it just like you used a coupon code at checkout or there was something in the URL? How do you how do you track it? So how Rewardful does it is um which is a nice way of doing it is they just add some parameters to you to any URL okay. that you want to share. Mm -hmm. So you just have to add, you know, whatever, like via equal mm -hmm. you know, mat. Uh, so at least all those links are coming to your to your site. So that's good for SEO. Mm -hmm. And then you include their script on your on all your pages. Right. And that script, once it sees that parameter, it sets a cookie. Okay. So like a 60-day cookie, I think. And then eventually when you when you send people to Stripe, you tell Rewardful like to to pass on that affiliate ID as a metadata okay. on the on the customer. Okay, and that was the big problem is that I don't want to set it on the customer in that case. I want to set it on the workflow. Yeah, you'll have to have the cookie banner. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's the other problem. Yeah, only the, that was the other thing. It's oh, like, fuck, I'm not gonna have a cookie banner. Only if they come through a referral channel, though. You could probably set right. the, you could set the banner uh, uh, contingently on on contingency on whatever um, conditionally. Yeah, but then they could say no to the banner, oh, <laughs> and yeah. then Ooh. the affiliate wouldn't get anything. Yeah, it's not it's suboptimal. Local storage? Question mark? No, 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 no. I think the lies. <laughs> It's it's called the cookie consent, but it's really about keeping, yeah, keeping stuff that can uniquely identify people mm -hmm. and tracking them. Fair enough. I want, there must be some interesting literature about this in you know with the birth of um, with the birth of all of this privacy stuff. I'm trying to remember the name of the program. Yeah, GDPR. Yeah, GDPR. Thank you. Totally blanked on that. With the birth of GDPR, I'm sure there's a bunch of very interesting literature around or on either how to do it or at least establish like a, a very nice UX with the user to say, hey, by the way, you came from a referrer. We need to create a cookie. Right. Yeah. I mean, th there's there's not a lack of, of literature on it, but uh, there's a lack of consent. Yeah. Of consensus, I mean. Yeah. That I, yeah, you're, yeah. You're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. 
there's like some everyone puts a disclaimer i'm not a lawyer <laughs> this is not legal advice mm-hmm. and then they go and say something completely different than mm. what someone else said yeah it's so yeah it's it's so complicated yeah. <laughs> like i understand like yeah we are all hang we're all angry that facebook and twitter and google are tracking us and selling that data Mm. i'm angry too about it but all these legislations do they just make it more costly to the little guys Mm. like facebook and google they don't give a shit it's like this we already have a staff of like 12 lawyers like yeah we'll have them read the gdpr and have them write up all the information or or look for the loopholes and Mm -hmm. And to them, it it, uh, it changes nothing. Yeah. Or pay the fines. Like, don't yeah. observe it. Or, and just exactly. Cares, pay or the pay fine. the fines. Yeah. Exactly. The people that we're trying to stop from tracking us, it does not stop them. No. But it makes life for the small guys like us like a living hell. Like, yeah. I mean, it doesn't scale. Like, what, I got to pay a lawyer like to to help me write this. Like, yeah. we're talking about thousands of dollars. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. Yuck. So, uh, but all that pain aside, I mean, the collaboration is good news. That's, yeah. that's fun. I'm really excited to be working with this person. Like, I'll talk about it more publicly when it's a, when it's a done deal, yeah. when we actually have the side project up and running, okay. just to give them the, the option to, to opt out and, and stay anonymous. <laughs> yeah, no, totally. Totally. But yeah, no, it's, it's an exciting idea. Nice. On a non-exciting idea, though, is that I have... A new competitor that launched this week. Oh, shit. Or last last week. Okay. Yeah, at the, the, the copycats are starting. Oh, man. <laughs> I, knew, I knew it would happen, of course. And, uh, yeah, it's it's always really, it's always heart-trenching. Like, yeah. it's hard, right? Yeah. You could say, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm growing steadily. Like, things are going okay, but I still have lots of work to do. And, mm-hmm. and then a competitor shows up. Who's far better than me at marketing? Oh no! Yeah, okay. so it's like okay, they have a bigger reach. Uh, you know, this is this is gonna make it even harder. Shit. Yeah, but but then I'm not discouraged because I mean, first of all, the the product is still inferior okay. today. Like it it has these big limitations that I mean that I could use in my marketing. Or I just hope that people like figure it out on their own mm-hmm. and and know that I'm, I'm I'm an alternative if if it doesn't work out. Right. And and the other thing is that you know this is this is my full time job. Mm. As for for them, it, it's a side project. Yeah. So like how how quickly will it evolve? Uh, how good is their how good is going to be their support on it? Mm-hmm. Like that's all that's all questionable. So I think there's still it's it's not it's not the end of the world. I think this and and there's plenty of you know there's plenty of room for competition. Yeah, like I was I, I knew I wouldn't be a monopoly. Like <laughs> you know, that's let, let the best product get its fair share. That's all. Yeah, no, it's a great point. I mean, you're you're you've you've become established. You're very big in the community. You're spending a lot of time. You're giving a lot of support to people, not just for your product, but like. Oh, how do you work on this? How do you do this? How do you deal with this? Like you're you're out there making things happen. There's a lot of work. <laughs> it takes a lot of work. It's you know even thinking about it now. Like I look back and like we've been you know having our calls for the for a few months now. 
for quite a few months. And it's like, yeah, man, you've been in the trenches slogging away. Like, yeah. not to say that they can't close the gap, but like that that lead that you have is very valuable. No, exactly. And I'm that's it. The fact that I'm full time on this and to them it's a side project. Mm-hmm. And the fact that they made some technological decisions that uh, that is going to hold them hold them back. Mm. So, so I think yeah, there's still a, I'm still ahead, and I think I can stay ahead for for another six months. Or, okay. So so yeah, it just means I need to to not give up. Yeah, totally. <laughs> just keep keep adding those new features, keep offering really good support, yeah. and and either. The either my customers reward me or they don't. Either way, yeah. if they don't, I'll move on to something else. Yeah, totally. You fucking got this. <laughs> Those Thanks. competitors, whoever they are, the trash. They ain't shit. <laughs> yeah. Another exciting thing is I, uh, I, I guess on the, my very first podcast. Yeah, now you're yeah. you're you've you're so famous. Like I, I thought this, I thought you were famous because of this podcast, but now you're right, doubling exactly. up. <laughs> yeah, no, it was it was very like last minute. Uh, like we had known each other on Twitter, and uh, and I listened to her podcast, and I heard her on other people's podcasts. Okay. Uh, but then we 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 met in in an online group session like a, a working session and then it was like hey do you want to ho- do you want to come on the podcast <laughs> so it was like yeah cool sure and, and yeah it uh, was released last friday very good and it was it was fun i i didn't know what to expect like <laughs> you know right it's like what am i gonna talk about yeah <laughs> and it's someone else's podcast so you know so i don't know it's like for our podcast it's like i don't know I feel more comfortable. It's yeah. like, it's, it's, it, if people don't like what we're talking about, well, that's that's my fault, and but I don't care. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but someone else's podcast, you're there. Well, you know, I don't want to ruin her podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. You want to put your best foot forward. You want to give them good content. Yeah, <laughs> but the, I I think it it sounded fine. Okay. I listened to it immediately when she released it, and uh, yeah. If anybody's curious, I'll I'll put the link in the show notes. Yeah, I'm definitely going to. Uh, I'm, I, I haven't listened to it yet. It's in my queue. I think that's what I'll do this afternoon. I have a long errand I have to run, so going to have you and you in my ears. <laughs> it's it'll be nice to hear you and someone else rather than just you and me. Right. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I talked I talked a bit about my origin story. So that's that's new stuff mm-hmm. that I haven't really talked about on this podcast yet. People can get so to she- know the real Mark. That's right. She got she got the scoop. Damn. <laughs> Is that something you think you'll do more of? Like kind of getting out there and doing more like personal brand kind of thing? Yeah. I mean, I I wasn't doing it with any like any goal in sight. Like mm-hmm. I didn't really do it, oh, I'm going to I'm going to do it cuz it might it might help my personal brand or I might get new customers. Mm-hmm. I just did it cuz I like talking to people these days. <laughs> and it's like, sure, let's talk and you're going to record it. Yeah, sure. Why not? Yeah, fair enough. Yeah. So I'm curious to see like, if it will lead to any any more traffic or mm. more listeners to our podcast. Or, yeah. I mean, it's going to be hard to attribute it, but yeah. 
but I didn't do it for that goal in, yeah. in mind. Makes sense. If another opportunity like that showed up, yeah, for sure, I'd probably do it. But am I going to... Am I going to actively look for these opportunities? No, I don't think so. Okay. I have uh, I have plenty on my plate. <laughs> if you'd like to have Mark on your podcast, <laughs> reach out on Twitter, at JudoHacker. Contact my agent, yeah. Matt. <laughs> exactly. I handle all bookings for Mark, so uh, your shit better be on point. Yeah, we want to see some stats first. Yeah, exactly. How many listeners do you have? I don't even want a hello. Like this is how many <laughs> this is how many listeners per month we got last month. Exactly. Last week there was a really great uh, a great interview on the swipe files. It was with uh, the author of the mom test. Oh, Rob Fitz. Yeah. Yep. It was it was great. Oh yeah. Like and while I was it's the first time I actually heard him talking. Mm-hmm. Like I had never seen any of his YouTube videos. I have now, though. <laughs> I went to check them out afterwards. Yeah. But when I saw the interview, I had only read the book and probably years ago. Like, it had been a while. And and then, yeah, listening to him talk, I was like, it's like, it's as if I had understood nothing from the book. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh, my God. Like, so much of that was over my head when I read it. I guess I wasn't in, I wasn't in this space that I'm in now. Like, like now where I'm talking to a lot of people, like I, I, I hadn't done that when I read the book. Mm. So now it's it's a whole different perspective, and I'm gonna start rereading it now. Yeah. Oh, I totally feel you. I had read the book a number of years ago, and then I reread it again when I was doing a lot of interviews for my consulting business back when I was doing validation for it. And yeah, it's the same sort of thing of just like, oh yeah, like that call went really poorly. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, actually, it's probably because you got way or way too excited about something and then you put your own opinions into it rather than purely listen and be inquisitive. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny. I feel like the mom test and uh, April Dunford's book, uh, obviously awesome, always get they, – they tend to get mentioned in the same breath because they're so actionable. Like people are just like, if there's a book you're going to read that delivers value on every line, it's like those are the two books that people always talk about. Yeah, I'm not sure if I started Obviously Awesome. I feel like I might have just started reading it and then I got distracted and I didn't go back to it. But I should should give it another try. But now I, I absolutely want to reread The Mom Test. Yeah, yeah, he's he's amazing on podcasts too. Like I've heard a few interviews with, interviews with him. And, okay. And he really like, I mean, he really, uh, I won't say he like regurgitates the book, but like the book is so well distilled of all of his experiences to hear him basically like recount the stories but with like a couple of words change for his own like per- like he's on a podcast being interviewed like he's i mean yeah he's he's yeah. thought about this so much like it's really cool to hear somebody uh, talk about their experience having like spent that much time thinking and writing and clarifying what they need well there's there's some so many things he said resonated but i don't recall ever having read that in the mm. book so it's so either it wasn't in the book mm. these are new examples sure. or yeah it's just been too long since i read it mm. and and i wasn't doing interviews back then so <laughs> my brain most likely ignored a lot of it right it's like oh this is interesting yeah it's interesting but i don't actually want to talk to people yeah. <laughs> that sounds crazy <laughs> but this is the new mark exactly new and improved yeah yeah because last time i he was last time i heard about him he was he had done a bunch of work with um 
accelerators, I think, or like business incubators, something like that. And he was publishing a book on how to how to do that effectively. Like how do you build an incubator, okay. that kind of thing, if I recall correctly. So I feel like he kind of like spikes into it's funny because like the book is always relevant um but it's not the but he himself is like you don't uh, like i i tend to hear from him like a little bit and then he disappears again and then he resurfaces but it's like the book is just like so much more famous than him (laughs) it's like he is a personality he's like oh yeah right there's an author who wrote this and he does things from time to time he actually has a life and he does other things yeah sorry rob if you're listening to this your book is your book is great So what are your plans for next week? So this week I've got, uh, so it's another light week. I'm, again, I'm in a holding pattern, uh, waiting for my clients to get back to me. Um, so I'm just kind of taking it easy. The weather's going to be a little better this week, so I want to get outside a little more. Rained a lot last week. So yeah, I want to spend some more time outside. I'm not ready to start talking to people. I have a lot of energy around figuring out what the next thing is, but I don't want to mistake that energy for forward motion like i want to i want to i need x it's it's about this point it should be about exploration not necessarily forward motion um because i can definitely feel myself dealing with um uncertainty of what's next and how long will it take to because i mean that's isn't that the existential question how long will it take me to get to this point where i'm i i have an idea and i'm able to move forward with it um that's always the big thing for me dealing with uncertainty is how long or when or whatever. Like it's it's about the point I'll be at, not the it's about the destination and not the journey, which is to settle uncertainty, of course. It's like, where are we going? But I want to make sure that I'm taking the time to explore. There's been a few tweets that have dropped into my timeline recently of just thinking like like I saw something from one of the uh the hosts of My First Million, Sean, and he was just like, you know, it can feel really hard to it can feel like you're pushing a, a boulder up a hill, but that might mean that the market doesn't really want what you're providing. But things are also hard, so it's hard to know. But he actually kind of hit me with the same version of the sunk cost fallacy that you did when I was thinking about shutting down F-bars. Of, you know, if you it, if you were starting today, would you, choose, would you still choose to work on this or would you choose to work on something else? Right. And... I'm just looking at that. I'm looking at that statement and the conversation we had before and thinking, I want to find that thing. I need it, but I need to go out and talk with more people. So I don't know. There's a lot of competing interests and I have a lot of energy, but I don't want to commit to something too soon. I need to do, I need to do my design before I start coding. And it's just like, yeah, I, I need to focus on design. Got to focus on those conversations. But at the same time, I want to take a break and yeah. I need to have fun. So yeah, another light week full of fun. Cool. What about you? Um, Busy, busy week, but uh, like, so today's May 3rd, so I still haven't really done my, my monthly review oh, yet, right. yep. where I, I look at what my goals were and what are going to be my goals for May. So that's that's going to really help me decide what I do this week, mm-hmm. what's the priority. But I know that um, I'm pretty disappointed in April, oh. like looking at what I had planned in the end, like a lot of it, I didn't get done. Okay. I mean, at least I worked on the priority. Like I had put some like UX improvements and bug fixes on the top, mm-hmm. and that is what I worked on the most during April. That sounds successful. Yeah, but there's a lot of other things I wanted to do. Right. I wanted to outsource something. I wanted right. to yeah. create some content for content marketing. I and I wanted to at least 
have worked on the side project. You know, I mean, I guess I guess I I got the collaboration for the side project, but I don't I haven't built anything for it yet. So yeah. Got to reevaluate everything, decide what the priorities are for me. Right. So that's what I'm going to do this afternoon. Okay. Yeah, we'll spend next episode talking about this. Sure. Yeah, because it's, I mean, at least from the outset, I mean, sure, there's some things you don't want, you weren't able to get done, but it sounds like bullet number one, you've certainly delivered on. Yeah, it just feels, it just doesn't feel great when I've written down, like, these these goals that I had set, and in the end, like, there was no movement on many of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and sure, I did, I did work on one, but it feels like, Either I was too optimistic, like I put too many things, or I put down things, and in the end, they weren't that important because I didn't work on them. Mm. Or they were important, but I didn't work on them because I was scared. So, like, you know, like in all those scenarios, something's wrong. Yeah, totally. Okay, well, study it, come back, and we'll have a therapy session. Perfect. I feel like I've been ejecting my feelings for the last few weeks. So, (laughs) time for you to vent. I could be the first developer you talk to. Exactly. <laughs> I'll work on my um, opinion neutral wording. That sounds really hard. <laughs> I can see why you would think that. <laughs> yeah, Michelle Hansen's newsletter is amazing. She has tons of yeah. these examples and that kind of thing. I've been going back and reading them, and they're all very bite sized. She's writing a book. I I want it. She has like a beta list for the book. Um, and I'm like scared to message her and be like, I would like to be on your beta list, please. I really should. Why, I've read everything. Why don't read. you? I don't know. It's weird. I'm like, never meet your heroes or whatever that. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. And she wants she wants to talk to like 50 people. It's like, insane. She's talking to so many people. So why don't you talk to her? I don't know. I'm scared. Help her out. Yeah, I should. Yeah. And she wants to. Okay. Maybe that'll be something I try to exactly. do. Exactly. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I listened to the podcast. So I listen to Software Social every week. Yeah. Uh, but I didn't sign up for the newsletter because I was like, no, this is going to distract me. Yeah. <laughs> it's, I, I don't need this distraction right now. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I heard that it's really good. Yeah. I mean, that podcast is awesome. The newsletter is great. Yeah. It's uh, it's a lovely it's a lovely distraction for me, at least right now. Okay. Well, yeah. If you're on vacation. <laughs> yeah. Did you read any books? No, I was planning on going to the library tomorrow. Um, I so um, do you know what Libby? Have you heard of Libby? Uh, yeah. yeah. So I was on Libby looking for Masters of Doom, okay. uh, but they don't have it. Uh. It's not fun. So I'm. I think I'm going to check out. Um, I, I will. I'd like to check out. Obviously, awesome, but. Part of me is thinking maybe I need to go more fun, like because I really don't read that much. I don't want it to be punishment. I don't want any negative feelings from from anything I read. So I I want to figure out like what's the like maybe I'll, I've never read Dune. Like maybe I should try to read Dune um, or you know something, just anything uh, to, right. to kind of get the get the gears turning. Um, but I'd really like to check out Obviously Awesome. I mean I, I have like such a huge list of books I need to freaking read or of, of books that I like. I don't know. They've been recommended 15 times. It's like, all right, they're probably pretty good if they've been recommended this much. Um, but I think I'd like to start with fiction. Okay. I can't. I can't just read Harry Potter over and over and over again. I should probably read something <laughs> I haven't read before. 
Now, it, yeah, yeah. even using that language, like I realize my own uh, like shame. I guess it, I mean it definitely feels like shame of that. Like, oh, I should do this, or I should do this. Oh, a, oh, a good person would do this, or a well-read person, or an intellectual would, right. would do these things. And it's like, I don't really care. I, I shouldn't. Like, yeah, I, no, my language needs to care. my language needs to align with my behavior because I don't feel shame about it. Yeah, you shouldn't. Here, I do not feel shameful for not having liked Dune. I've said it. There you go. Perfect. <laughs> my my friends rave about it. So I said, oh, finally, I'll, sure, I'll give it a try, yeah. right? And I love science fiction, mm-hmm. so it's like, and yeah, could not get into it. Mm-hmm. Same with The Lord of the Rings, man. I can't read that shit. Yeah, no, exactly. It's impossible. <laughs> and actually, I'm, I can't do Harry Potter either. Oof, now we're <laughs> podcast over. <laughs> no, fair enough. It tastes, man. I, 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 yeah. I mean, for the same reasons that I, I can't do, I can't do Lord of the Rings, like I, I don't like that that genre, like the the fantasy. Yep. So yeah, there's no shame in it though. Yeah. There are billions of books out there. Yeah. Just read the ones that will bring you joy. Yeah, exactly. That's the yeah. That's that, that's the behavior I need to. Or well, yes, that's the behavior I want. I want to read the books that I enjoy. I don't just want to assemble knowledge. But I, I really liked um, Tim Ferriss said this like years and years ago of like reading books uh, or maybe a guest on his show. It was something like you want to read. Uh, oh no, maybe it was Patiola. Sorry, attribution's not important. The, the quote is something like um, optimizing for just in time versus just in case. Like right. reading a business book to be like, now I understand this thing versus like, I need to understand this thing. I would like to. Yeah, yeah, up. exactly. And that feels like a much better use of time. Yeah. And there are times where I, I would read a book because I felt like I, I have to be able to say that I've read this book. Mm. And yeah, often. If I didn't enjoy the book, it was a total waste of time. Yeah, so that's me. Not much else going on. Yep. I guess I should get back to work. Yeah. Man, let's go for a walk this week. Yeah. I'll follow up with you a little later, and we'll find a time to do a hike or something. Yeah, it's going to be some nice weather this week. Yeah. Cool. I'll catch you next week. All right. All right Have a great vacation. Yeah, we will do. <laughs> later. Bye.